Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Learners Corner Podcast. This is a podcast for lifelong learners where we learn from anything and everything. My name is Stephen Mason. And my name is Todd Hicksonball, a.k.a. The Todd Father. And we have a great episode for you today. Today we are talking with Solima Gorani and Todd. People may not be familiar with Solima, but why don't you tell us uh, just a little bit um, of what we talked with her about today, and I'll uh, get into who she is then. Well, we were talking with her about um, being high-level performer and just some of the, the things that she has done so far in her career, how she remade herself um, as she um, lost a job and was coming out of that and then was trying to figure out what to do and how she just remade herself um, into just a top-level salesperson and, and is just doing some amazing, amazing things. Oh, yeah. She's she's a motivational speaker, a philanthropist, an author. She's been featured on TED. Yeah, dude. Pretty and, big. And uh, she's uh, recently moved to the United States here um, in the past couple of years. Um, but before that, she lived in Denmark. And, and Todd, just listen to some of the awards uh, that she's won. 40 Under 40 Award in Europe. And... She's been named one of the uh, in the Nordic 20 best thinkers. She won the Woman Economics Influencer Award in 2015. She was also chosen as a UN Women Advisor in 2015. She gave several uh, TED Talks in 2016, and she uh, has an expert. Or she's her expertise is really in strategy, management, leadership, emotional intelligence, all of this stuff. And she's been featured in Forbes magazine. That's amazing. That's 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 incredible. I know. And like we said, this is this is um, this is just a really fun conversation. We this is a wide ranging conversation. My goodness, we cover so much stuff. Um, but before we get into our conversation with Solima, um, we do have our Learners Corner recommended of the resource. And Todd, I think you have it this week. I do. Um, so a couple weeks ago, again, I know last week we did a Tim Ferriss. Um, the book, the four hour work week. Um, well, are you going to recommend another Tim Ferriss thing? I, I, I actually am. I actually am. Um, it, a couple weeks ago, he did an episode on his podcast where he interviewed a guy named Patrick Collison. Now, Caleb, do you know who Patrick Collison is? I do not. Well, I'm glad that you don't, because I can tell you, Patrick Collison is the one of the founders and CEO of a little-known company that many people probably don't even have any idea what it's called, what what it is called Stripe. You heard of Stripe, Caleb? Well, eighty percent of eighty percent of adults right now today purchasing things online are actually using Stripe. When they, whenever they check out to do it, it's an amazing company, very forward thinking, very much on the cutting edge of everything that they're doing. And they're just, it's just an unbelievable company. And he sits down and talks for about two and a half hours with Patrick. Patrick is a person who has read at the age of 30, he estimates that he's read over 3,000 books. Incredibly well read. This guy is super, super smart. Um, and he talks about, he goes into a whole bunch of things about how he learns stuff, about 
his how his upbringing really influenced him and his parents exposed him to all sorts of things to, to allow him to be able to, to be creative and think for himself. Unbelievable episode. And Tim really does a great job in his research and really bringing some stuff out of Patrick that is just invaluable, particularly if you're looking at um, how to continue to grow as a person and get better. Totally recommend this episode. You're going to love it. Patrick Collison interviewed by Tim Ferriss on The Tim Ferriss Show. Go do it. Awesome. We'll have to check it out. Now, as we mentioned, um, we have a great conversation with Solana, and we are going to join that conversation right now. Well, Solama, we are so excited to have you on the Learner's Corner podcast today. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm truly very, very honored. Well, you know, just as we get started, um, for those of our listeners who may not be super familiar with, uh, with your work, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do? Yeah. So I have uh, four different companies. My main core competence is loyalty and sales. So I am advising uh, companies all over the world how to close the big deals, like how to really get the money, ask for the contract, get things done. A lot of people have many, many great ideas, amazing products, but they don't know how to sell. And sell selling and sales is really the solution to everything. If you don't, if you cannot raise money, go and get some sales. You know, like go and get the sales done. Uh, so that's really what I'm. What is my core skill, uh, and I do this on a global basis. Secondly, I am very passionate about helping people finding their path in life. Uh, and since I'm the co-author of three of my own and fourteen other books, I have a lot of curriculum and 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 methods to do so. And instead of letting people only reading my books, I have created three different online platforms where people study my my content online and I I would actually say I'm an online life design coach. Mm-hmm. So I work with companies and close the deals and love that challenge. It makes me work globally. Uh, it challenges everything I do and and think and know. And I help other people to accomplish amazing things in their lives so i do both and so i combine those two worlds so yeah i have a portfolio of interests you can say yeah can you tell us the, can you tell us the story of how you got in into this because i think it's a really it's a it's an interesting story because it kind of was came out of 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 need really i mean there that you yeah. had to do something mm-hmm. um can you just tell that story and tell us kind of how you you're about your journey to to kind of discovering your your, your niche your talent yeah. So I guess if you ask people, what is your talent? Most people can explain, you know, I'm good with numbers. I'm a good leader. And you you kind of get it. But you also have a feeling that it might not be that person's core skill. The really, really core skill, your true, true talent is very hard to find. And sometime and very often you need to, to find it. You, you You very often, you only see your true talent when you are at your lowest of your lowest. Because when you are at your lowest of your lowest, you actually, you get into a very deep contact with yourself and your needs and, and, and what, you, what you're capable of doing for good and bad. In 2007, I thought I was a global salesperson. Like that was kind of my identity. I worked for these 
big organizations like Hewlett Packard, Microsoft, uh, uh, Maersk, the biggest shipping company in the world. I've been responsible for global sales all my life. Rather successful, I would say. I was rewarded. Uh, I was well known. I'm a I'm a woman. I'm young. Uh, I, I, in, I'm from Denmark. I was Moroccan Danish, the only one in the business field with this nationality. So you know, I felt fairly. Can you say successful? Yes, I think so. I made a really good salary beyond anyone else I knew. Uh, so, but in 2007, I announced to my company that I was pregnant. I just changed job 10 months before that, and I announced that I was pregnant. Uh, and then I was fired from my job immediately after. And uh, I'm the breadwinner. Of course, you have to take, you get a lawyer, you go to the courtroom, like, but that's different. Uh, that's a diff- whole different uh, story. But for me, it was, I was devastated. I was a new mom to be, the breadwinner, uh, didn't know what to do, and I was clearly. I needed to make money now. And you might think, well, if she's so good, she can get any, a new job anytime. But I don't really know any companies besides Yahoo when they employed Marissa Mayer. I don't really know of any companies who hire a senior manager, very expensive in salaries when he when she's pregnant, right? Because, I mean, they will wait until you have had the delivery and the leave is over. And then, of course, you can get a job. But hey, I need to make money even if I'm pregnant. Mm -hmm. So I really had to make money. So I had the chance to look at myself very carefully and and have that tough conversation with myself about my life values. First of all, being fired was for me, like it is for a lot of other people, disappointing and traumatizing. uh, But I cannot afford to go down. Like I, I needed to be, I needed to stand and, and, and keep standing. So I, I, I decided that I would never be employed again in my life. Like I would never be in a situation again where anyone could fire me. That was kind of a crucial, very, that's what, that was the decision I needed to make. Because if you always keep the door open for, I could be employed, whatever, then you cannot be fully, fully engaged in what I was what I decided to do, namely to become independent. And when I say, and I use the word independent by, you know, by as my, as my word for being self-employed, because I wanted to be free. Like I would no longer anytime soon again, be in a position where I had to bend my values or work for someone I truly didn't admire. I decided never to work again hard for something that did not matter to me. So I decided to be a consultant and let, that led me to become a speaker, a writer. And I mean, even two months after I was fired, I was more success- successful than I've ever been in my life. So that was the crucial moment. Mm-hmm. How did you deal with the fear in the midst of that? Because I just imagine, you know, like you were saying, you're pregnant, you're, you're out of a job. How did, yeah. how did you deal with that fear? So first of all, you know, every day you have a conversation with yourself all day long and it's always the emotional conversation that takes over if you don't control your mindset and if you don't understand that fear is just really just a feeling like happiness or any other feeling, anger, but the fear is very often taking over 
And when the fear takes over, you lose something that is very important, namely your creativity, because fear closed down everything and, and it will always just try to make you survive. So you go back to very basic thinking. I cannot afford only to think basic. I need to be innovative. So for you, in order to be successful, you need to be happy. So you have to inject yourself with positive thoughts every day. You have to, uh, the dialogue you have with yourself, not only with other people. It's actually easy to have a positive, optimistic conversation with other people on your own behalf, because you know that otherwise people would not like you, then you will be draining the energy. So we pretend that we are optimistic and positive, but really that that's nice. But really what matters is the conversation you have with yourself. So I had to look, okay, I will tell you what I was thinking. I've had a very hard upbringing. I left my parents' house when I was 13. I lived in the streets. I was in foster care, children's home. I was kicked out of school. You know, most of my life has been really adversity. Like I had to fight adversity and and really uh, fight tough battles all my life. So I knew that this was just another battle. Like it, this, I, I was surprised that I was in this situation. I was angry I was in this situation. I was disappointed. Like all those heavy, heavy feelings that are very difficult to battle. But they can either drive you in a negative place or in a good place. The magic is really to take the anger and the fear, the disappointment, everything, all the blame, the self-shame, and take that and turn it around and use it as a driver. And your driver can be anger. It can even be, I'm going to show them that firing me was the worst thing they could do. They're going to regret this. That's okay. As long as it engine you and you can use it as a driver. And I did. I wanted them. I imagined that 10 years from now, they will be hugely uh, uh, disappointed in themselves that they fired me. I want them to apologize and I wanted them first and foremost never to do this to any woman again. So I was really on a mission that really fired me up in a very nice way. And every time I gave an interview in the newspaper, I always knew that they would read that newspaper <laughs> and they will be reminded about who they throw out, throw it out of their life. So back to my life, I've, I have had so much hardship. And I, you know what I told myself self every, every day, because you have this conversation with yourself every day I said, and this is not easy. I said two things. One was life has been with you until now. Life has invested so much in me. It will not let me down. So by convincing myself that life will not let me down, made me trust life. The most important thing in whatever you do is to trust life. And hey, I'm not talking about the trust in, I trust I'll have dinner tonight. Or I trust if you buy me a drink, that drink you have not been spitting in my drink or whatever, you know, small things. I'm talking about a deep, profound trust that life will, it will work out. It's not going to be easy. Don't ask for an easy life. Ask for an interesting life. Work hard and stay true to your values and trust life. I've never in my entire life, I've never met someone who has not been rewarded by life if they did the right thing. 
but you might look around and look at people who do, did everything wrong, not nice people, greedy, uh, you know, all those things. And you might look at them and think, I'm a too good human being. Uh, I should be more selfish. I should, I should be screwing people more and I will be successful too. But I will tell you, they only have small success. If you really want to have the big success in life, not only status and money, but also the internal success with yourself and dignity and all that, then you have to be a good human being. And you can only be a good human being if you trust life. So, but I did not grow up trusting life, right? I grew up being rejected. Uh, I'm the outcast. I'm the underdog. I was that kind of kid that the other kids were not allowed to play with. I was, you know, so how could I trust life? But my life changed when I started trusting life and trusting that my skills were needed in the world. Now, I have a question. Um, yes. for you. It sounds like what it sounds like you're really describing what you're describing to me signals that you've really done a lot of internal work and built a lot of internal framework. Can you talk to us about that? And, and, and what does that look like for you? Maybe what some, maybe, I don't know if, if there's some things that you do daily habits or routines or anything like that. How have you built this internal framework to be able to get to this space? Mm. You know, it. so I don't mind working long hours and you can put me on a flight and I travel and I work in 35 countries. So the whole thing about working hard and meet my deadlines and sit in front of my computer and get stuff done, that kind of work is easy. I think the, 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 the hardest work in life is to dig deep in yourself and really trust that you can handle what you will find. Because all you need to know about your, your future life, you can find that in your past. Mm. So let me give, so, okay, I will give you another crucial moment in my life. I was kicked out of school. I'm not really well educated, meaning if I, if I meet someone who is very skilled, an educator, a teacher, a professor, an interesting person, I pay attention. I pay attention to the small conversations I'm surrounded by every day. It might not only be in a business meeting, it can be on the bus or it can be like everywhere. Life is showing me everything I need to know if I pay attention. And I have to say, I, I live in U.S. and it's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful country with a lot of religious path you can take in life and a lot of communities, strong communities, you know that, uh, and many churches, I, I admire that. I'm as such not a religious person, but you, maybe I'm, I'm spiritual, I don't know, but mm -hmm. I am, I am, but... Life will always show you things that you need to know, but you have to really trust to dig deep and find what you what you need to find. So that that you have to trust. But the crucial moment that I want to share with you was I was invited to do a two week uh, leadership module at the Harvard Kennedy School in Boston. And, you know, for me, it is as it is for most Americans, I think, an honor to be invited to do a two week program. I don't even want to know what that costs. <laughs> I, I was giving that because someone else, uh, David Rubenstein, like people with a lot of money and power in the U.S., believes that by investing in me, good things will happen. So um, I was invited to a leadership session by um, by um, the the uh, by the author of uh, Finding Your True North, uh, Bill George, a very uh, strong 
uh, used to be CEO for one of the biggest and most successful companies in the US. He uh, gave me a, a, a task. He asked me to write my life like a, a rhythm, like your heart has a rhythm, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and then he said, draw, draw your life as a heart rhythm, ups and downs. Write what has been, you know, the crucial most magic moments in your life and what have been low points in your life and draw that line from when you were born until today. And it gave me within maybe half an hour because actually your body know what to draw. Like they are, it knows. And mm -hmm. I, for the first time in my life, I started seeing patterns in my life when I was happy, when I was unhappy. And uh, actually more important, what has been my lowest of my lowest in my life. And I, at that moment, I learned for the first time in my, in my life, I learned what are my, what are my values? What am I fighting for? What am I trying to achieve? What is it that I'm trying to tell the world? Because in my past, I have experienced things, all of us have. It might be your parents' divorce. It might be you had a dad with, with problems with alcohol. It can be sexual abuse. It can be gaming. Lots of things. People, everyone has a big secret. Everyone. And when you start looking at what has happened in your life, you will find all you need to know for what you should be fighting for in the rest of your life. And when you when you find that, that is truly the first time in, way in your life where you can start communicating not about me, but about us. That is the moment where you start creating something that is so big or that people really understand and they want to help you succeed with that. You cannot be successful otherwise unless other people will support your course or your mission or your, what even if you sell something like, I don't know, mobile phones. No one buys mobile phones, right? They buy communication or relations or the value of the product that you're selling. So you need to understand why. I mean, I, I keep telling people, have you found something that is worth working hard for? And if you don't, then, I mean, so you have to find that thing in your life that is worth investing your time and your energy in. So what do I do? First of all, I surround myself. The magic is really who you surround yourself with. Because you know the, the, the theory. You become the average of the four people you spend the most time with. So me, I have been very structured in surrounding myself with people who are good people, smart people. Uh, optimists because I'm, I'm a pessimist of nature I, I am not afraid of admitting but I need optimists to keep reminding me that the life is good have to keep reminding me that I matter that keep reminding me that what I'm doing is important to the world so it's kind of a you know an advisory board of people who are smart I need smart people because my talent is really very narrow so for me to accomplish the things I need in life I need to have access to people who are much smarter than I am so by building a very considered, uh, you have to consider to surround yourself with the right people. Among those people, I have people who are very good with everything from meditation to exercise, healthy lifestyle. You might be surprised, but I started smoking cigarettes when I was, well, I think maybe 11. I smoked until I was 27 and, um, and so extremely unhealthy, didn't exercise uh, had other addiction problems, didn't do my homework. You know, I mean, when you're facing challenges in life, 
the first thing you skip is not really your cigarettes or fast food, right? I mean, you cannot, like, you need a lot of energy in your life to to take out these things. So first things comes first. So today I'm, you know, I'm super healthy. I, I, you know, I most people that look at me would say, oh, she, how can she have ever been that unhealthy? So I've surrounded myself with people who keep my mind healthy and my body healthy. And when you have that, you get clear, you get a much clear view and you have more energy because without energy, there's nothing you can accomplish in life. You and I can sit and have all the dreams we can come up with. But if you don't have the energy to execute, you will never get things done. So if you want to accomplish things in life, look at the people you surround yourself with. Look how you spend your energy, your energy and your time, because the most limited thing you have in life is your time. So if you start taking out things that are unhealthy for you and things that just eat and consume your time, and we have to be careful. We surround ourselves every day with things, really, everything from TV to social media to our smartphones, even to people that are eating our energy and our time, and we will go to bed that evening asking ourselves, what did I accomplish today? Nothing. I don't have time to accomplish nothing. So... I'm very, I'm very much aware of how I spend my energy. So just before this podcast, I went for a long hike, one hour. I live in the Bay Area, so I have amazing hiking areas. I could have been writing my emails, right? I, I, I have been away from my office for one week, so I have a lot of emails. But I would not be able to do this podcast with you, and I would not be able to put my soul into this podcast if I came strictly from my emails. I would be on a different planet. My mind will be in a different setting and I would not be able to gain access to what I want to share with you today. So I'm aware of many different ways of getting access to my soul and my thoughts and my creativity and my innovation. And, and all I do every day is really human connections. I cannot close a deal in Zimbabwe or in China or in Greenland if I don't have the human relationships and, and connections to make this work. So I'm very dependent on people connecting with me on many, many different levels. And that does not happen through emails, I have to say. <laughs> That's so true. What, what, uh, what are some other things that you do to increase your, your amount of energy? You know, you talked about, you know, limiting social media and even, you know, getting out in nature. What, what are maybe one or two other things that you do? So uh, I'm not an expert in nutrition. I just know that by being vegan, and I know that's a lot to ask for for a lot of people, <laughs> but I, I know, I, I admit, but it works for me. Uh, I'm a vegetarian. I limit my drinking. I'm Danish. I'm half Danish, meaning drinking in the Nordics is a way of socializing. So I limit my, my drinking, even though I like red wine. I skipped uh, most sugar. I don't smoke anymore. Um, uh, everything I watch Everything I read, I always ask myself, is this going to make me happy, relaxed, or smart? And if it doesn't fit those things, I don't read it, I don't spend time on it, I skip it. And then I just sit in silence. Mm -hmm. I don't meditate. I might, maybe walking, hiking is a kind of walking meditation, but I don't do meditation as such. I do a little bit of yoga, but I exercise every day, and I practice a lot of you know what? Actually, the the one thing that I do the most is I register my own thoughts. I have like a lockbook. I don't write it down, but I pay attention to my state of mind. 
No, when I wake up in the morning and I have a busy morning like everyone else, two kids, two different schools, a dog, you know, I have all those things. So I, I don't sit, meditate for 20 minutes and then I walk out in life. I have as busy mornings as everyone else, I believe. <clears throat> Sorry. But I pay attention to my state of mind. And some mornings I wake up, I feel like giving up. I'm sad, angry, tired. You know, I have all emotions and I pay attention to the emotions and then I kind of take the temperature and I ask myself what can I do to to come into the to the right state of mind and then I have different things I do it can be the way I talk to myself calling a special person I have a lot of people I can call and within a few minutes I'll be back in where I should be they say magic things like you know those people who can say one line mm -hmm. and they get you back on track So I have my, you know, I have my library of things that I do to get uh, in the right mode, because frankly, today might be my last day. I need to I need to make every day matter. <clears throat> I will I will tell you a funny story. My son, he's 10. His his room is full of, you know, how do you say that in English? Your quotes, you know, like oh, things. Yeah. 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 And uh, I was somehow I don't know. I was sitting at his on his bed and then I fell. And I don't fail, but I fell off his bed. I don't know why. I, I, I knocked my head into a quote <laughs> that was on his um, on the side wall. And it says, every moment matter. I know it's an awkward situation <laughs> and very, very hard to believe. But nevertheless, nevertheless, it happened. And I couldn't stop laughing because I fell off his bed, hit my head into the wall where that quote was, every moment matters. <laughs> and I couldn't stop laughing because life really do remind me, even though I don't ask for it, that every moment matter. So I'm very, I'm very careful with how I spend my time. Mm -hmm. I don't waste it. I don't waste it on useless conversations, ridiculous magazines, TV. And I don't, I don't, I, I, and you know what? Don't look for the solutions outside yourself. A lot of people are too busy finding the solutions outside themselves. Stop up and listen. Just be silent for a moment and, 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 and be open to what you feel. Don't judge yourself. Be honest But you need the right program to program yourself to be more constructive, positive, and use that whatever you feel to something good. Mm -hmm. So the other thing that you said before we started recording is you talked uh, you talked about finding talent, finding your talent, and yeah. finding your purpose. What what might be a couple of keys for the per for the person who's listening to helping discover their talent and discovering their purpose? Yeah. So most people work through life without ever finding the purpose. And I mean, it doesn't mean that you don't do things that are, have your interests. It doesn't mean that you cannot be happy. But for truly being, living a fulfilling life, like when I'm talking about fulfilling is like a very happy, hard, you can be hardworking and mm -hmm. all that. It's not, I'm not talking about easy life. I'm talking about a really rewarding life where whatever room, This is very important. I live, I'm surrounded by highly successful people in Palo Alto. You can only imagine, right? But um, for you to walk into a room dignified, having your head high, being proud of who you are, and to be in a position where you never feel that you have to excuse to anyone who you are or what you do, that's when you find your purpose. When you have found your purpose, You will walk in like you probably do. You walk into a room and you will proudly tell people that you have designed and invented this podcast and how you impact 
millions of millions of people's life and how like I imagine you do that that and so the thing is to find your purpose is really dig that's probably the 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 hardest work you will ever get into is to find out what is your purpose and what is your purpose first purpose is something where everything makes sense everything you do feels right you have no you have no hesitations there is no conversation within your own head whether you should or should not be doing it and i will combine that with finding your talent mm-hmm. because we grow up in a society and this is universal this matters whether you're from shanghai or uh, copenhagen or you are living in amsterdam it doesn't matter you grow up in a notion of what it means to have a real job you grow up in a notion <clears throat> where people are telling you what is status what is important, what should you be doing, and you grow up living out maybe your parents' ambitions, expectations, spouse expectations of you. But truth being is, I believe Oxford University came up with a research last year saying that 48% of all jobs, the titles that we know today, will disappear within the next 15 years. Not that the jobs will disappear, they will not. New jobs will come. So the future of work is a huge, um, it's a huge opportunity, because 20 years ago, if you were talking about finding my passion, working with something I'm talented in, people would laugh. Because 20 years ago, you had to have a paycheck, get things done. It was the industrial kind of way of thinking. Today, <clears throat> we live in such a privileged world that we know if we don't work with and being truth to our passion. And if we are not using our talents, we will not be the best and we will burn out. And none of us can can actually afford to burn out. So actually for us to be successful in the long run, we need to work with our talents and passions. There's no alternative really. And technology today and future of work is giving us a tremendous um, advent, ad, ad, um, advantage because for the first time ever, you and I, can I, can sit down and really have a conversation with ourselves? How do I want my work life to look like 10 years from now? Because you can actually design it yourself. It's never been easier to go out and create a job ever than it is today. So your talents, you have to find out what are you good at? What is not difficult for you to do? And what gives you energy? And what is appreciated by others? Because, and I'm, I'm adding the last one. It's not something people like to hear. But if no one is willing to to pay to buy your paintings or go to your yoga class or whatever you found out is your talent and passion, if no one is willing to pay for those services in, in one way or another, you cannot have a sustainable life. So you need to find out, and this is the sad thing, you can be an artist, but if you never make money, I will give you a limited time. Then you will be back serving in a restaurant because we need to make money. So your talent has to be, you have to work with your talents in a way that you still can make those talents relevant to other people. So that's the way you need to t- you need to think. I think talent can be a little bit overrated because you can be as talented. So I have a daughter. She's extremely talented within gymnastics. 
for many, many, many reasons, she stopped doing gymnastics very recent and started doing some other sports. She's very good at that too. But she's back to one thing. I'm talented, but what, do, what does she need to do? She needs to put the hard work into it to achieve something. So talent can be overrated. Talent is completely useless unless you're willing to work for it. And I'm a very big fan of hard work. Hard work is very, very important. Mm-hmm. And it's underrated. Very much indeed, <laughs> so, so, yes. So uh, we, w- we want to transition the conversation um, a little bit to, to some of the work that you're doing now. And, you know, just as, um, just as we were doing this research, I found this quote um, <laughs> that, uh, that you have that says, you know, our way of thinking is based on the assumption that the future is going to be like the past. And, um, you know, we both know that that, that could be faulty thinking and that, but you said that, um, you've been doing research into what the future of work is going to look like. Can you tell us about some of that research and, um, and how that pertains to what the future of work, um, and the workplace and employment kind of will look like? Mm. So first of all, we're in the middle of the fourth industrial revolution. So we are speaking, uh, technology, we are talking about uh, connectivity. We have never been connected as much as we are today. And we have never been in a, in a time where services are more appreciated. So we will see a, I just did a session at Stanford University actually earlier this week on future of education. And future mm-hmm. of education is kind of closely related mm-hmm. to future of education because frankly, education is supposed to prepare our kids for the future. It is not. It is not. It's not because um, we are telling our kids how future is going to be, but frankly, we don't know. I'm a terrible advisor to my kids on behalf of future because I really don't know. We don't even know what kind of jobs we will have. We don't even know what talents we need. We assume we know the World Economic Forum, among many, predict that we need creativity, emotional intelligence, all those things that cannot be coded, who cannot be put into a robot, who cannot be manufactured by artificial intelligence and machine learning and all that, and virtual reality. But really, we don't know. But we do know that we need a higher level of consciousness. And we we need a, a... I was on a meeting this morning with one of the biggest, biggest organizations in the world. There's not that many of them. (laughs) I was having a conversation with them on how to repair some parts of their businesses that are not running really well. And I can, I can tell it's about human connections. And I was having this conversation and in the middle of the meeting, I realized there's absolutely no human intelligence in this room. It was all about strategy and architecture. And I had to stop and say, Hey guys, mostly men, um, What we are missing here is the emotional intelligence that is kind of gluing all your technology and all your architectures and all that together because it is human beings who makes the decision in the end. And human beings are not rational. We make hugely emotional decisions. So for us to make good decisions and sell our whatever we're trying to sell in the world, we need to understand human beings, the brains, nature, how, how we are. So future of work is going to be highly advanced in terms of the people who are going to be successful are the people who are connected on an emotional level, global intelligence, emotional intelligence, 
And uh, so future of work it can be designed. And for the first time ever, you're not supposed to have one job. I know that some Americans have two or three jobs, that, but that's because they're work, working poor. That's a whole different level. But in the future, the new, the younger generations, the ones who are 15 to 25 today, they, we name them the generation set. They will have three or four different jobs at the same time. Not because they're being poor, but because, because they have a portfolio of interests. And they will be transforming the entire way we work. I don't know your age, but I believe we are more or less a similar generation. Maybe we're ex or slightly baby boomers. And we are used to look at a way of working as something we do from Monday to Friday, maybe on Saturdays too. But the younger generations are not going to, they are not going to do five days of work they don't like for only having two days with work they love. That's not the way it's going to work. They're going to transform the entire way we work. And one of the things you will see first is that we'll remove a lot of leadership, management. These people will be self-managed. You might be aware or know the name, term, geek economy. Like you do a lot of small work Mm. for a lot of platform Mm -hmm. economies like Upwork, people by the hour, all these um, amazing new platforms that actually sets people free. Remote working, you can work from home. We will see a lot less physical work and more uh, work from remote and much more online and super connected worldwide. So global intelligence means understanding different cultures. We don't share the same values, but we can still work together. Uh, Communication, I realized, oh, I, I just spent one week with 600 leaders from 90 countries. And we were talking about future of leadership. The one thing that goes in that everyone talks about is the ability to communicate. If you can touch people and communicate something, that's the only way to create good movements, big organizations where they actually want to follow you. So future of work is going to be highly disrupted. You don't, you will not be in your car on your way to a headquarter in some city. Like that's going to disappear. One of the first organizations who have done this is actually in one of the most conservative countries in the world. I was just there, Japan. Hitachi is one of the biggest, most successful companies in the world. They are, they, they really, uh, they, they simply reduce the headquarter. So if everyone went to work, they would not fit in. And they now have hubs all over Japan where you can go for work if you don't like feel like being at home next to your spouse or whatever reason there is for you not to work from home. And they, I asked the I asked the senior management, why did you do that? And they gave me two good responses. In Japan, you wouldn't maybe not believe it, but they're even more stressed than Americans. They die from work. Thirdly, they have a huge amount of old people. So the young people need to work more and faster. So productivity does matter. Actually, right now, Japan sells more diapers to old people than to babies. So this is a huge issue. So they, they, they reversed and rethought the entire way of how they think work should be. Japan is known for having a very hardworking discipline with a manager who overwatch you and look you all day long if you work long hours. They changed that completely now simply because they know that's not the way it works. So the way we work is not working. People are depressed, stressed, they kill themselves in traffic, they do drugs, they have pains, they're suicidal. There's nothing good to be said about the way we work today. So it's not working. 
So what, what are some of the adjustments that we can make? Um, because it's, you know, just as, uh, just as we're talking, you know, that's not necessarily the norm, this new way of, of working and, and stuff. So what, what are maybe some of the adjustments that people can make to kind of get on the front end of this? Or is it still too early um, to make those adjustments? Oh, gosh, no, it's actually, I wouldn't say it's too late. But even if you work, even if you're a cleaning lady, even if you're a taxi driver, or whatever you're doing, start opening your eyes and pay attention to what's happening around you. Try to read the future. And you don't have to be a futurist to to get this. Mm. But you know, human nature is to close our eyes, hope for the best, and just hope that tomorrow is going to be as good or better, or I will survive. Again, remember I told you I couldn't quit smoking until I had the resources to quit smoking. So we shouldn't be blaming people in, you know, in who's trying to really make a living. But um, try to read the future and try to find out if there's anything, anything you do, anything. Do you have any skill that someone will be willing to pay even a few dollars to have too? And even if you clean, I've been a cleaning, I cleaned uh, restrooms uh, most of my youth and, and actually when I was a young adult, I worked night shifts, I was having low wage jobs uh, I, I, because I don't come out of a wealthy family and while I was studying, I had to work hard. And I, again, I'm a fan of hard work, um, but I, I managed to look up and look into and see what is going to happen five years from now. What 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 can I do to be to stay relevant? And then this is the big question. In even if you have absolutely no money, even if you have absolute no time, even if you are absolutely exhausted in your own life, you can still do a lot. Even if you have five minutes. Again, I. There are more mobile phones in the world right now than restrooms, right? So people have access to the internet. Why? Half of the population in the world are now online. At least that was what I was told yesterday. So we have a tipping point now. Everyone listening to your podcast at least have some yeah. device. Yeah. yeah let's, let's agree on that. So if you're sitting in front of you with a device, having access, even you, you listening now to this podcast, it says a lot about you as a listener because you are aware of listening and learning from someone else and interesting conversations a lot of us have a lot of people have have not access to interesting people they might not even have access to super smart people but thanks to you guys by inviting smart people by having a podcast you give access to those people that they don't they don't know right i mean you found me and we found each other and that's where magic happens you might not have a life where you have time to go out you might not be invited where the smart people are or whatever but it does, it's not an excuse. It's not an excuse for you not to being smart. Does, does this make sense? Mm-hmm. You can still be yes. smart even if you're poor, even if you're broke, even if you're tired, even if you work and live remote. I met a young woman. She was nine years old in Pakistan some years ago. And she told me she had access to online classes, free classes. She could not go to school. This was Pakistan. Pakistan, yeah, I believe so, yeah. And she was then invited many, many years uh, some years later, a few years later, to World Economic Forum, the annual meeting in Davos. It's only king and queens and presidents who goes there. And I had the chance to meet her. She was brought by Bill Gates, I think. And I met her and she said, you know, 
now I'm studying astro philosophy, uh, astro something science, something very advanced beyond my skills. I was so impressed by this young lady because she was studying everything from her bedroom. Wow. So, you know, it's so what can you do? Look up. We tend to look down, maybe because we want to find a, a $100 note. I don't know. But look up, look up and look out. And even if you only have five minutes a day, try to spot where is your spot in the future? Is there anything you can learn now, get access to even for free? You don't have to pay. That will that will give you a little bit of knowledge, a little bit like one step at the time. You don't need to take an MBA. I have an MBA. It's very it's ridiculous expensive. I don't think my MBA was my tipping point. No, I think my tipping point is access to smart people, content, learning, thinking, reflecting. That's really what you need to do. Mm -hmm. So can you talk a little bit about um, about your time at Stanford earlier this week? And, yeah. And what? What are maybe some of the initial things that you've learned? Because um, as as you were saying, there is a there is a connection between the future of work and the future of education. Um, can you talk a little bit about kind of what you learned from that? Yeah. So for the last uh, ten years, I have been advocating for um, lots of things within education. For for instance, I I'm very honored to be one of the first people on board of the Global Teachers Prize. It's a, um, I was with some friends and we came up with this idea that we should create a Nobel Prize for teachers because it's kind of funny that teachers are the most under, under um, valued, not on, they're not the most, but they are not, they don't have the status as they, as they should have, right? I mean, I admire my kids' teachers. I didn't want to have that job, um, but I admire them for what they're doing and what they stand up for every day. So we came up with this, with this idea and it was it was designed by uh, a, a private school chain, uh, but nevertheless, uh, uh, we hand out one million dollars every day, every year, not every day. <laughs> I wish I wish it was every day, <laughs> every year to the best teacher in the world, and it's uh, one of the most recognized competitions in the world. I'm the judge, or member of the of the board, or whatever, of five or six different. Uh, organizations who put attention to schooling and and education and curriculum and and the way we teach and what we teach and on Stanford uh, I'm the board member of something called New Scholars and we were doing it with them and New Scholars is based in the Bay Area and is of course very impacted by the use of technology so the thing is what skills do we need in the future can we improve the learning can we improve their understanding? Can we design so that the learning is individual? I don't know about you, but I had normal classroom classroom interaction with my teachers. And you sit there with 25 other students. It's warm. You're hungry. You're tired. You might not like the teacher. The teacher might not like you. The teacher might be tired. The teacher might be boring. You know, there's a lot of things that goes wrong in the way we teach. And really, everything has been interrupted in, in, um Everything in our life has been disrupted, just not education, not for real. We still teach the way we do. We've been doing that for ages, you know. It hasn't changed, yet we know so much more about how we learn better. So how is artificial intelligence, how is machine learning, how is virtual reality, how are robots 
going to impact the way we learn and the way we train. So we did a session at Stanford University uh, this Tuesday uh, where we invited a lot of the new tech to come in and present for people in their field of education from all over the world to listen to the way, for instance, let me give you an example. There was this entrepreneur who is teaching doctors all over the world crucial skills in operation, how to operate uh, on human beings through gaming, like computer games. I had to close my eyes while he showed his game because it was so realistic. No, I'm like, I'm a, I'm a, I, I cannot stand all that blood and whatever. The mm -hmm. good thing with, so he's, he's training thousands of doctors all over the world. So for instance, there's two things we need to have clear, very urgent, access to education and access to healthcare. This is universal. This is not only in the US, it's worldwide. We need access to good education for all and good healthcare, right? One of the issues we have, we cannot educate enough teachers or enough doctors because we cannot educate enough. So by, by educating through technology, we can ed educate many, many more teachers and many, many more doctors and they can practice online, they can connect online, and you can actually take one good teacher and replicate that person into many, many more classrooms. Uh, let me give another example. I was in Greenland. Greenland is part of Denmark, it's very remote, and they don't have a lot of teachers. And if you go to school in Greenland, you might live in a city with three other people. There's one teacher. That teacher has to cover all curriculums, all classes, like, you get you you end school poorly poorly educated you you lose another generation and another generation over and over again because we don't rethink what is good education and we cannot move any every children from all over the world into one city and educate them at the same time we need to use technology much more than we do today and also we need to think about what it, what skills do we need in the future and no country no government can agree on what skills we need in the future. So this is where we really need to take a stand and think, because I don't know about you, I spend a lot of time to, to take my kids to sport, music, um, coding. I do, I, I'm like you, I get, like any other parent in the world, everyone who's listening to this podcast, I believe most parents try to do whatever they can just to give your kids a reasonable chance to survive in the future. You teach them about work, you teach them about cooking, you teach them about math, you do a lot of things. But really, none of us know whether it's necessary for them to cook in the future, even to do math. We don't know. So the future of education is very unknown, but we do know that technology and robots and all the things that we use now is going to impact the way we educate and learn. So it's really about combining the real life with the virtual reality and the and the online life. I have kind of a... Uh two-part question um and you you kind of mentioned it a little bit about the future of work um so the first part is what's the biggest opportunity what what's the biggest opportunity that you see right now coming down the pike as it pertains to the future of work and then also what role does soft skills and emotional intelligence what, what are those two how does that play together First of all, the biggest game changer right now is that you can be in your bedroom and from there you can run an online uh, global business. It's never been like that before. And, I'm, and don't get me wrong, it's not like everyone should be running an online business. That's not right. We still need 
things in life that are that are you know I mean you still need sometimes to go to see a real doctor you cannot do that remote only and all that but right so for instance uh, I don't have the correct numbers but my best estimate is that 40% of all the jobs in Denmark for instance it's a small country it's 5.2 million people is one of the wealthiest happiest nation in the world 40% of all the work we do in Denmark is admin it's uh, something that is back office it's something about you know filling papers uh doing make writing reports or whatever admin those jobs are going to disappear simply because computers can do this much faster much fewer mistakes than any human being can so future of work is going to be uh more less boring right because a lot of the boring work that we're doing today is going to disappear it's going to be less dangerous a lot of the heavy duty work that we're doing today is being done by robots so let fewer people will die while working and people will live longer because the the work is not going to be as hard though if they sit down all day they will die faster so so but if you get me right it's not going to be as dangerous so less boring and less dangerous hopefully more exciting too what people might not know is it's actually it's actually not the cleaning lady who's going to disappear first it's actually educated good jobs that are going to disappear and i think that comes as a big surprise for people who are right now studying very expensive at very expensive schools not knowing that by for instance practicing the law lawyers are some of the most outdangered <laughs> species in the world because their jobs will disappear there's no need for that many lawyers right uh, there has never been more phd students right now ever uh meaning science and access to smart people will the price per head will be lower this might be a su- surprise to many people as well a phd a postdoc is not going to risk is not going to save you in the future uh, actually not uh so um what you really need to understand is what can you do what is your skill and we do know that people will be sitting a lot by themselves loneliness will increase uh people will be seeking entertainment the entertainment industry is right now much bigger than anything else and when i speak about entertainment it is gaming it is game it gaming yeah it is um something that is not so nice but online porn it's big in the asia because people have stopped having relationships we can sit and laugh but it's a huge concern of mine uh we will so you know entertainment is going to be much bigger than you and i can even imagine and um and the consumption consumption of uh, entertainment by young people is outrageous it's 6 7 hours per day in average so you the biggest game changer is that you can be sitting at home running an online business and what is a job let me give you another <clears throat> example there's a woman in south korea of course south korea is very unlikely she's from north korea but uh she's from south korea and uh she used to be a banker and she didn't like her job and she just she she thought about coming a little bit back to how to find your skill your talent and your passion it can be very difficult for people to find their talent because they think you know I'm not good at anything you know and what I'm good at is useless i think that conversation is something something a lot of people have with themselves what i am able to do is useless why would anyone buy my skills i think that conversation is not that rare So let me give you this example to make you feel good about yourself. This woman, she's rather young, 
she was a banker. She didn't enjoy her job. She was really well paid, but she didn't enjoy her job. And she had this conversation with herself. What am I good at? Okay, banking, but that's not an option because I don't enjoy that. So she said, okay, I like eating. She's a petite woman. She's not big or anything, but she likes eating good food. She appreciates good foods, and that's nice. It's a life quality. And she, she likes being at home. So how would you on earth ever think, I like to pull out the bizarre examples, right? How would you on earth ever think that eating and staying at home would ever be a career? I think that's pretty much the low, right? And no one would say that could be a career. She found by doing a little, little, little bit of research and looking just a few years ahead, she realized that loneliness is a big thing. Dining by yourself. I don't know if you tried it. I do it a lot when I travel. It's not nice to sit on. I mean, sometimes it's nice, but it's not mm -hmm. nice to have a dinner by yourself day in and day out. It's actually horrible. So she came up with this concept that she would be eating in front of her webcam and she would host it on a platform and people could, could pay a membership weekly or monthly. I don't know. They would pay her an amount of money to dial in through the webcam and she would be sitting and having dinner with you. And she could have dinner with 10 or 15 people at the same time. She makes 10 times as much money per month than she did as a banker. Why is this interesting? Because it's combining everything we are trying to talk about here. It's practical. She didn't like her job. She, her talent was very, her interest was very specific, useless in a way. She turned it around and turned it into a very lucrative business. Can everyone sit in front of the camera eating and making money? No, but that's not the point. I don't want to sit in front of my camera eating, right? That's not my passion. But whatever you're passionate about, there is a group for you out there that is just waiting for you to launch your business. <laughs> can you talk a little bit about how, and then can you talk a little bit about how emotional intelligence is going to play out in the future of, of, of work? So first of all, you are born with your normal intelligence. You have many, many different intelligence, but the one recognized is kind of your in IQ. Your IQ is, you have that from birth. You can increase it a little bit uh, by not being traumatized and all that, but, but you have an IQ. And uh, if you eat wealth, if you, eat, if you eat healthy and all that, you will maintain your, your IQ most of your life. But, uh, and you cannot really improve your IQ a lot. Doesn't mean you will stay at the same, but you cannot improve it much. The emotional intelligence, however, is a never ending intelligence. All life, you can improve it and you can just build it higher and higher and better and better. And according to all experts, all institutions, all universities, they all agree that emotional intelligence is your ability to understand yourself understand others, regulate your own feelings, uh, empathy, uh, know how, uh, you know, really emphasize with other people, sympathize, uh, understand, read a room, understand people, uh, uh, but also really regulate yourself. Some people might not know, but your ability to wait for something to happen, like wait for dinner to be cooked and not snack while you're cooking and then when the dinner is served, you have no appetite. Like the small things, for instance, the pleasure of waiting, the pleasure of controlling yourself, uh, regulate yourself and your, and your inner dialogue and your mood uh, and all these things are emotional intelligence. The world need 
people who can regulate them regulate themselves and understand other people that is according to experts i can only quote them it is the most important skill in the future so if you should spend energy or giving your children or yourself a checkup for you in order to be future proof you should go deep on improving your intelligence your emotional intelligence you can still play chess and all that to do go and not do that by all means but work on your emotional intelligence and the good thing is you can work on it all life so it is being pointed out as the most important skill mm-hmm. what's what's maybe three things that people can do to improve their emotional intelligence first of all be social uh, you can you can improve your social skills uh, online I mean my son spends a fair amount of time gaming I'm not a big fan of gaming but I have to admit it is really truly something that uh, trained him really well in what leadership decision making social relationships communications so yeah so gaming, if you don't want to be outdoor and if you're a heavy introvert, gaming is a good way to do it if you game with others. But the best thing is, of course, is to spend time with people. Not every day, not all day, but make sure that you are kind of social. I like to say that if you want a quick way to improve your social skills, emotional intelligence, uh, and if you don't have a job, make sure that you volunteer. Go to your church Go to any community. I mean, U.S. is so good in having communities, right? Mm -hmm. Go and serve your local community and spend time with people and work next to these people. Uh, Because when you work with other people, when you make decisions together with other people, because socializing is, of course, improving your social skills. Oh, my all means a dinner, um, a social event. But it's really when you start working with people, when you're doing something with people, maybe when you fundraise for a political campaign or is really that's really why you improve your social skills because you're doing something with other people that matters. But of course, being social as such also improve your relations and your skills. But listen, you cannot improve your skills if every time there is a disagreement you leave. Or every time there's someone you don't like you leave. That's not going to improve, right? That's actually going to decrease your ability. <laughs> so you have to stick to something that is not being easy. You might be in a situation you don't appreciate. But only by going through all those situations, you will improve your um, imp- improve your uh, skills. So be social in one way or another. Work with people and pay attention. Pay attention to how you react. Let me give you an example. Many, many years ago, back in 2007, 6, 7, I took my MBA. Uh, that was the first education, like real education I really got because I could pay for it um, and they couldn't kick me out. I mean, they could, but they wouldn't. So um, the thing is, uh, I was lucky enough to have a coach from INSEAD. INSEAD is probably one of the best business schools in Europe. It's in France. And I had a coach who was supervising me with some other people. We were trying to build something. And there was a lot of disagreement and we had to make the drawings and, you know, it's a very, it's always nice to build something practical because that's really where you get to know people, right? Um, and I was kind of angry and I was annoyed and I left. And then she ran after, she, she walked after me and she said, so now you're leaving again. And I'm like, I don't leave again. I haven't left before. And she said, I can see the way you leave. You're used to leave. You leave things. And I was hugely annoyed. I might even have said a few things to her. Uh, But after a few hours, I went back to her and said, you know what? You're right. 
I actually do walk. I do walk out. I walk away. Yeah, you're true. That's true. I do that. I didn't know. I didn't know I was doing that. So by her, it was really tough because it's tough to see what you're not good at. I don't enjoy it, but I appreciate every time I realize what I'm not good at because it's an opportunity for me to work on it. And she would make me realize I work. I I walk out. Yeah, I leave. Why do I? I don't know. I just leave. So I don't. I no longer leave. And just before I went on this call, I'm running some very executive projects, high stage, like high, on high stage, like it's very, um, it's in the public eye, I, you know, without going into details, like a lot of prominent people are engaged. And, um, and I was, I was, someone tried to coop me yesterday <laughs> and I was like, am I being cooped? You know, I thought, you know, this is, I'm not, a, I'm not a president candidate, but I saw it. <laughs> No, but it's kind of interesting because politics and business is really not that not that different. And I had to make a phone call before I went on this podcast to someone that I really like. But she tried to coop me. And I had to be diplomatic, being dignified, because don't go into a fight. Because then you will lose people and people are more dangerous if they don't support you. So so I, I had to have a conversation with her where I put myself in the in the in the boots of being the leader and explain her how I wanted it. I could not have had this conversation and it was a beautiful conversation. It ended very well for now. I could not have had that conversation if someone did not tell me that I used to leave when things get tough or when it's gone, when it's uncomfortable. I have learned to stay in things even if they're very uncomfortable. So back to your question, one of the most important things in order to develop your emotional skills is to be in situations that is that are irritating uncomfortable, unpleasant, and learn from them. Mm -hmm. So just as, uh, just as we're getting ready to wrap up here, is there anything in your, in your research right now um, that you think that, you know, I would really like to share that with our audience or this might be helpful for them that we haven't already uh, talked about? <laughs> oh, we talked a lot. And thank you. <laughs> we talked a lot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, um, what will I share? I think, uh, uh, okay, it is not, so a lot of people think that you need to be strong, talented, smart to be successful in life. It could not be more wrong. I see smart, intelligent, privileged people every day wasting their talent, every single day. Every single day I see people who waste their talents. What really matters is that you find it, that you, that you dare to be, trust that you can do something great, that you only need a very few people to support you. Find one, two good friends who are really interested in you being successful. This matters because even your closest friends, they love you to like they love you to the moon and back. Be sure that they really, really want you to be a better version than yourself. Why am I saying this? Be because every time you go, every time you try to be more successful. Uh, more fulfilled, more happy. There's a slight chance that you will leave people behind who are not on the same path, who are not willing to do the same amount of work. And for them, it's hard to see that you grow and they will, they can either blame you or make you doubt so that they will keep you out of selfish reasons in their own sphere. So make sure that you have people that really, really, really want truly you to be the best version of yourself. 
So we always have a few questions that we love to ask all of our guests before um, before our time ends. And the first one is this. What's one thing um, besides hiking that is helping you personally or professionally right now? That is helping me professionally? Yeah, personally or professionally. That is helping me. Uh, helping me right now is to focus uh, uh, the same way as I am. A, I'm, I'm preaching hard work. Let me preach another thing that is not so sexy, namely focus. Uh, sometimes you have to understand when you have to be taking in new input, opening and starting things. I, 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 I'm surprised that people say we need more people with entrepreneurial skill sets. Frankly, we have a lot of people who are good at starting things. Actually, actually, I think most people like starting things because it's exciting. It's like having a new girlfriend, right? It's always exciting with a, a new dress, a new book. New things are mostly interested, interesting for most people. What is tough is to stick with it, make it work, repair, repair it if it, if it goes wrong, and, and, and get it done. So for me right now, what I'm practicing right now is to get things done. I have a deadline on deadline on my next book. My publisher needs needs it after New Year. I have some projects that have a tough deadline, so focus is really what uh, I'm focusing on right now. Yeah, I'm focused on focusing. <laughs> <laughs> what did what did what, that's good? What advice would you give to somebody who's eager to learn? Eager to learn, first of all, is a it's a great great skill to have to be eager to learn. When I asked the room of all those smart professors at Stanford and who else was in the room at Stanford, I asked, what is the skill that you want to, that you hope that your kid will maintain? And one of the professors says, said, curiosity, uh, you know, being interested, eager to learn. And um, that is actually something that a lot of us shuts down. Unfortunately, uh, we start stopping being curious Maybe because we think that now we are too old or it's too late. I want you to, I want everyone to understand it's not, you don't have to peak early in your life to be successful. That is wrong. You don't have to have had the first managing director job by 30. You can have it when you're 60. It's never too late. We live longer than ever. You can peak late in life. You can even peak many times in life. You can have five different careers if you want, right? You can upscale and downscale your life as much as you like if you have the design and if you have the tools. So stay curious. Uh, stay learning. Stay on your learning path. You have to remind yourself daily to do something you haven't done before because your brain is actually the biggest sabotage in your life. Your brain wants you to be lazy. Because your brain do not want you to go into situations that might make that might get you into trouble. Because then you will not survive. You know that's how basic our brain is, and your brain do not like to spend too much energy. And you know, I don't know if you know, but learning new skills is horrible. It's horrible. It takes so much energy. Thinking demands a lot of energy. So your brain rather have you don't do that. So you have to have a method. That makes it clear for you, that reminds you every day, have I done something today that I did not do yesterday? Small things. Try to not to order the same pizza. I know you like your number 13, but try number 15. Uh, and I, I know you like your playlist. I know you don't think you like African music. Just go to Spotify, try the African uh, whatever playlist. Mm -hmm. Do a little bit every day and you will start seeing 
everything starts with small steps. It's small steps and, and, and slightly you will challenge your comfort zone. And before you know of it, you are on your way to an African dance party in Houston, you know? like So I, I'm just saying small steps every day. And what if, if you could have everybody learn one thing, just one thing, and it could be how to cook the best whatever, mm-hmm. or it could be something highly practical, highly, highly tactical, philosophical. What would that one thing be? Okay, this is going to sound cheesy, but nevertheless, it is the most important skill, how to love yourself. I have to say, if you love yourself, then you understand dignity. When you understand how to live a dignified life, you will treat other people with dignity. When you treat other people with dignity, they will do the same with others. And then then we are heading the right way. So I was quoted yesterday by one of the Shark Tank superstars from the ABC uh, channel. And uh, somehow it was said like... um, be a nice, be a nice person, right? Go out and be a nice person. And I talked about the emotional intelligence. At least that was what I was quoted for. But I like to say, if you don't know what you are going to be, just go out and be a nice person. And I think, and it's easy to be a nice person if you're nice to yourself. So for instance, I gave a good advice yesterday to a CEO of a company. We were having coffee and I said, um, I'll be honest. She, she used to dress very nice. She, she kind of, gave up on that and she didn't look as fresh and strong as she used to and she's losing power and I said uh, listen please walk into a room and look like someone who loves herself because if you look like someone who loves yourself then other people will feel it they will respect you more you stand stronger and you will have the energy and the respect that you deserve I know it's cheesy I know I wish I came up with something much more profound but this is really what comes to my mind when you ask me exactly that question. I don't think that's cheesy. I think that's something that is underestimate. We underestimate the power of it. And so I agree with you 100%. That's so good. And then our final question is, what are you learning right now? So right now I'm learning to speak English, right? I mean, I speak German, I speak Danish, and I learned to speak English in 2007. When I took my MBA, because an MBA is, of course, in English. So I had to study English with my tutor while learning my MBA. So that was, I almost, it almost killed me. I mean, that was a lot of work (laughs) for me. Um, And I decided um, two and a half years ago, I decided to move to US to learn. You know, it's very difficult to learn a different language if you don't live here. So uh, honestly speaking, my biggest challenge right now is to speak English. And I know some people... If they're being nice, they say, oh, but I understand you perfectly fine. But you have to understand when when you love communicating, I need to build a very strong vocabulary and I need to be able to pronounce things so that you would actually understand me, right? Mm-hmm. I, I hope I didn't give you a too hard time, but, but, but it's really my main goal is to be, I don't mind my accent. I don't mind all that. I'm, I'm fine with people saying, oh, you're not from here. I'm fine. But I want to have the vocabulary and I want to be able to pronounce things. And now I'm being an immigrant again, right? So now I live in the U.S. I'm from Denmark, Morocco. I'm, a, I'm an immigrant again. I'm teaching my kids how it is to be an immigrant in a country. I'm super proud 
of what I'm of what I have done, namely living a perfectly fine life, a great success, an amazing life in Denmark, to become an immigrant in the US and going it's tough. It's tough. Can you imagine? And I'm super proud again by not only talking about these things, but actually again walking the talk. Mm-hmm. Implementing the things I try to teach other people, namely challenge yourself, give yourself challenges before you need them, make changes when you can. If it ain't broken, break it, start over, allow yourself to learn new things. I'm doing it. Look, you two are giving me the opportunity to tell my story as I'm doing it again. Mm-hmm. Well, Solomon, uh, it has been so great talking with you. Um, We're going to need to continue this conversation on another podcast episode sometime in the future. Um, But if people want to continue to learn from you, you know, find your books, where's the best place for them to do that? Oh, you know, I hope. Um, So I have, you know, uh, old school uh, webpage like uh, sulaima.com. Maybe we can can spell my name in the podcast so that people know how to pronounce it. Uh, and then, of course, I'm a social social media media addict, just like yourself. I hope uh, <laughs> I'm on Twitter with my name. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on I'm, I'm on Facebook. Uh, I'm, I'm a very I'm a very transparent uh, transparent transparent person, meaning I'm doing a lot of posting that I I'm being told people appreciate it. So feel free to connect with me if you find what I'm saying interesting. The more people that are interested in freeing themselves the better because we can create a movement and hopefully more people will live fulfilling lives where they are true to their values. Like that's kind of what I'm, what I'm hoping for to create. Yep. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Well, Caleb, I love having conversations with people who just clearly are high level class and very professional. And, and on top of that, um, they're just fun people. Um, and I know that you do too. So, hey, what's something that you got out of that conversation? Uh, honestly, there's just so much. Um, but one of, one of my highlights, I think, was, and we talk we talk about this a lot, um, but just what you said about growing your emotional intelligence. And um, because I think emotional intelligence is something that we're seeing in the workplace a lot more that is just so um, vital vital um and honestly i'm becoming more and more convinced that emotional intelligence is one of the greatest um skills that you can bring as an employee to the workplace no i'm totally with you on that uh and you know that i've asked questions of several different people um who we've interviewed both people who are coming up on the podcast and also folks who we've interviewed in the past about emotional intelligence i remember talking with chip conley which he was earlier in the last this past fall and just asking him about it and it does seem to be a theme that keeps cropping up that all of these high level executives and ceos consultants and people like that they're all pointing at emotional intelligence as the most important skill that a person can have in the workplace so yeah no i'm, I'm totally with you on that and so if you enjoyed this conversation with Solima. Um, next week, we're actually going to talk with Chris Yeh. And Chris recently co-authored a book called Blitz Scaling with Reed Hoffman, which is a great book as well. And so the best way to make sure that you don't miss that episode is by subscribing to our podcast and whatever podcast player you use. 
Hey, Caleb, you know another way that people can really do some awesome stuff and help us out? No, what's that? Well, they can leave a rating and write a review. And one of the major ways that helps us on the podcast gain visibility is by reading, rate, leaving a rating and writing a review. It helps in the, in the uh, Apple Podcast metrics. Exactly. Just like uh, the review that T. Shantz one wrote, which uh, I think we know who T. Shantz is, right? The, the name is pronounced Shantz, and his first name is Mark, because that's my boy Mark. Well, anyway, here's, here's what he had to say. This is a great podcast for anyone who considers themselves a lifelong learner and wants to keep growing. They talk about a variety of... Uh, topics have interesting and fun guests and know how to engage their listeners. So thank you very much for leaving that rating and writing a review and please continue to do so. Remember the more that we get and the closer we get <coughs> to 100, the more awesome things are going to get because if we hit 100 ratings and reviews, Caleb J. Mason is going to read a review in a weird voice. It's going to be epic. I love it. I don't know if it's going to be epic, but it's definitely going to be embarrassing. I mean, it's going to be embarrassing for you. It's going to be definitely epic for me. So, thank you so much for listening to The Learner's Corner today. My name is Caleb Mason. My name is not Caleb Mason. It is Todd Ixenbaugh. And until next time, keep learning and keep growing. Deuces, y'all.